Welcome to Paint Radio with your host, Emily Howard and Andrew Dwyer. Thank you very much. Yes, I'm Andrew Dwyer. This is Paint Radio. I'm publisher of APC. We have Emily Howard, editor of APC. Emily, how are you? Great. How are you? I'm good. The uh, the voiceover guy, I had I had like a Talladega Nights moment with him. I know Talladega Nights, Legend of Ricky Bobby, one of your top five movies. Absolutely. He, uh, the voiceover guy, I don't even know his name, he asked if I could do the voiceover work and he could host. Now, of course, I could do the voiceover work. <laughs> How easy is that? But he wants to host the show, Emily. I would enjoy that. So, no, 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 no. It was my idea, actually. So that, that I gave was it like, to him. <laughs> as you know, in Talladega Nights, Cal Naughton asks the, the Ricky Bobby character, the John C. Riley character, Cal Naughton asks if he could win. And, of course, Ricky Bobby squashes that immediately. Shouldn't you have gone with an Anchorman reference there? Are you, you, we're going to start ranking Will Ferrell movies? <laughs> Are you just trying to piss off the audience immediately? I'm just saying. Anyway. Welcome to Paint Radio. Uh, you know, we always say, we often say when we do these podcasts that there's so much more to talk about. We want to have you back to talk about stuff. And every time we say it, we mean it. And this time, we've actually done it. Because uh, not that long ago, probably a month, maybe a month ago, uh, we had a tremendous podcast with Danny Kerr from Breakthrough Academy, where we talked about uh, knowing your margins, how profitable you should be, the numbers that you should know, the numbers you should track, how you should track it. Tremendous. I even said at the time, half joking, half serious, that people are going to have to go back restart the podcast, maybe listen to it at half speed, because it was so chock full of gold nuggets of business wisdom. And it wasn't a bluff. We said we need to talk more. And so sure enough, we're doing it. Danny Kerr from Breakthrough Academy is back with us. Danny, how are you, sir? Hey, good guys. Yeah, no, I, uh, thanks for having me back. And as if Danny wasn't enough, we doubled down on our Canadians. We doubled down on our Dan's. We got Dan Dasco, who is a business coach with Breakthrough Academy. Dan, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks, Andrew. Dan is actually waiting right now for his third child. He's he's Number literally three. he's in the hallway. <laughs> I'm kidding. He's that's not true. <laughs> so but, so, did you want to talk more about that, Emily? Yeah. <laughs> did you have something you would like to announce? No, I have nothing oh, to announce. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I misread that. I thought you were going in a direction. And, okay. Sorry. I guess I don't know you as well as I thought. I swear I thought you were going in a direction that you had a big announcement. No. I'm glad Dan and Danny get to listen to this. So, <laughs> we're, we've got some, uh, some follow-up questions from readers who listened to the podcast. We invited leaders, uh, readers to, uh, to engage with us via social media to send us some questions that they would like us to talk to uh, the gentleman from Breakthrough Academy. Um, and, of course, if you go to – if you're not familiar with Breakthrough Academy, go to btacademy.com. Uh, these are tremendous business coaches. They have a, a zest and a zeal for life, uh, and they want everyone they work with to love life, and that's really what they help you do. They help you live bigger, live happier, be more profitable – um, it's, it's wonderful. And if you haven't listened to the first podcast, that's fine. Listen to this, then go back and listen to the first podcast. Emily, why don't you kick us off with the first question from a reader? 
Well, so Andrew, really quick here before we get started, I I wanted to reference the the picture that people are looking at on this podcast. So we've got, like you said, we've got Danny Kerr and and Dan Dasko um, in an interesting picture out on a river somewhere. So you guys tell us, give us a little background on that picture. (laughs) Uh, Well, (laughs) we, I think 60 of our clients and us, we all went out. Uh, to uh, just outside of uh, Whistler is a place called Squamish and we helicoptered everybody to the back end of this river and we did a three-day rafting trip down so uh, we tend not to do like a typical you know in the in the boardroom type meeting we tend to try and take the guys out where there's no cell reception and uh, you know there's bears and all kinds of crazy stuff around us and we can just be basically in the woods talk about life talk about our businesses and and get away a little bit and do something kind of crazy so um, yeah it was a really incredible trip that we were up many nights till three or four in the morning and made bonfires the size of small houses and <laughs> no one there was there to bother us and we've got to talk about business and everything in between so all right lots well, of great conversations under the stars i bet i bet well it it looks like it was an awesome event like you guys were having a lot of fun but uh yeah, I guess I guess now we can get into our first reader question. I think uh, I think one thing that, that Danny brought up last time was uh, that that dance that an owner does between the time that you're actually working in the business and the time when you're kind of pulling yourself out. And I think one of the things you said was, is if you pull yourself out too soon, you uh, you could go bankrupt, and if you pull yourself out too late, uh, you could end up having a heart attack. So this um, this is actually a question that pertains to that exactly, which is um, when you're looking at building or when you're looking at adding um, office staff, um, administrative back office support, something that will be solely um, supported by overhead, how do you know when that right time is and how does knowing your numbers actually help you make that decision? Yeah, it's a great question. I think knowing your numbers and knowing when to pull the trigger on that position, uh, there is some critical timing to that. And there's, I think, three things that I think you should consider. And, you know, by knowing your numbers, you can project profit to pay for the position. So if you're tracking your numbers and you can understand the trend and pattern of where you're going on that, um, you have the ability to say, hey, we're, we're pulling in good cash flow, we're pulling in good profit. Uh, we can we can pay for that position. Uh, a lot of guys don't know. Second point, you know, they don't know the actual cash flow of when to take something like that on, so they don't even know how much is in the account, how much is coming through payroll. And so, by knowing again, when you have an understanding of the cash flow and your numbers, you know what time of year when that's gonna when that's gonna pan out, and you can pay for it. Uh, and then. I think the big thing, I think Danny talked about this last time as well. One of the big numbers that people don't realize is their gross profit. And so they don't even know how to look for or account for that position. I worked through this, actually this problem with the, you know, uh, one of the guys I coach just the other day. And he talked about, I'd like to add a production, production assistant role. And so we just literally worked through his numbers because he knows them. And we figured out, well, how much more revenue would you need to produce uh, is this the right time of year that you have the cash flow to take this on? And because he knows those things, we can plan that out in advance. Yeah, and I, I'll add to this a bit. You know, a lot of people say, okay, I need a, a production manager or a sales manager, or a, and which which can be very well be true. 
but to even figure out what is the best like ROI role that you could possibly get, you know, especially if you're a small business and you're getting your first overhead role ever, I encourage you guys to make make a list of all the stuff you do in a week. Circle the stuff that's high time consumption and low skill. That's usually an indicator of the next role, and that could be you know could be somebody running around doing crew moves for you. It could be somebody mm-hmm. in the office doing setup calls and doing you know. QuickBooks reconciliations and back office work, or it could be somebody helping you with setup calls and doing more of the sales side. But to stick through that first, you might actually find, hey, you know, I don't need like a seventy or eighty thousand dollar a year role. I actually need someone at forty or fifty grand a year that can do these more menial, you know, basic tasks. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it automatically gives you the opportunity to double your time. Right? As an entrepreneur, you 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 can you know, especially in the beginning, you can provide a lot of ROI for your own business by getting someone to take twenty hours a week off of your plate. You know, what can you do with those twenty hours now to create a bigger ROI? And it's it is like what Dan was saying, it's a math calculation from there forward because it's just okay, well, you know, I'll give you an example, a lot of guys going from five hundred K to say eight hundred K in their next fiscal year are gonna start to require some some level of overhead support. And um, in doing that, you're gonna go, Okay, well we're gonna grow by three hundred grand this year. You know, you are, let's say, example, you're going to help manage my production. So we need to basically grow by that much. And you're in charge of helping make sure that happens. And they're going to be given a deliverable on the job sites that they need to help produce that much at X amount of margin. And that becomes that employee's goal along with you. And so you can start to secure ahead of time, not only, hey, it's time to grow, but it's also time to like hit these exact numbers. And if we hit these exact numbers, then your, your salary becomes worth it. And if we don't, your salary actually might not be worth it. And so then mm-hmm. together, you can work with that person to help them achieve that goal together versus it being kind of a sure you're hired here's a bunch of money and hopefully we do better and they have no idea if they're helping you make an ROI on their role or not um, knowing the numbers ahead of time actually going backwards knowing what role to be hiring first then what the numbers where you want to hit and then being on the track goes along the way and hold you and them, that person accountable really help make sure there is an actual ROI and to answer the specific question of like when is the right time the first overhead position say be it admin sales help or production help usually happens in around the 500k to 800k range for a painter and dan i don't know if you would maybe disagree or agree with that but you see it every day any thoughts on that with the numbers yeah i think that around that 500 800k is is typically whether the owner is stronger in sales or production they hire the opposite so if they're stronger in sales they'll hire a production manager if they're stronger in production they'll hire a sales rep and so they they kind of go back and forth um and yeah, and then basically adding from there, right? In-house admin, usually guys get really busy around the million-dollar mark where they're just taking too many phone calls, too many leads, and they can't handle it anymore. So they hire their, you know, an in-house office admin, maybe a, a secretary, start filtering in through the calls, uh, and then continuing to add from their roles. Like, uh, you know, they hired the production manager, they hire a sales rep, right? So, guys. Um... And Emily, I'm going to need your help with this. We did a podcast just a few weeks ago with the painting contractor who has a degree in finance. Good Lord. What was his name? Aaron Moore. Aaron Moore. There we go. Um, tremendous podcast. And again, he went, he, his undergraduate degree, I don't know if he has a master's, but his undergraduate degree was in finance. And so we talked to him about how that helped. And he said it made an enormous impact on his ability to run the business and his ability to, uh, communicate with the bank when he was looking for a line of credit. Um, so for people out there who do not have a bachelor's in finance, what advice do you have for them, whether that's a book, you know, you know, short of getting a, a degree in finance, what, what books can they read? What's your advice on how they can boost their knowledge of financial terms, of the basic principles of finance 
that will enormously help them run their business? I think there's Michael McCallowitz has a great book called Profit First. Um, I think that's a great way to look at uh, profit in your company. Um, but even just the simple calculation of understanding your uh, net profit percentage and just your gross profit percentage and like for a position where you're trying to add in a role, the simple calculation of saying if I want to pay somebody $10,000, if I want to you know, make money on that role, I know my net profit percentage. I can basically divide it by that and, and know how much more revenue I would need to produce to make money off that role. Or if you'd like to break even on it, it's the same calculation. Take that position that you're paying for. Let's say it's a $10,000 role. Divide it by your gross profit percentage, and that will give you a break-even point for that role. So that's just one calculation. But I think Profit First is a great book by Michael McCallowitz for understanding cash flow and profit. Okay. Yeah. Danny? Danny, go ahead. Yeah, one thing I was going to say too is, so I don't know if we can add this to the show notes for the downloads, but we have like our master business planning file has a tab in there called budget. And what we're getting all the guys to do, like one of the first things to do with us when they start working with us as a company is we get them to go through their last year's P&L. So how much did you do in revenue? What were your variable expenses? And how much did you spend in overhead? And they just type it in. And basically that starts to tell them their percentages of everything. What was your percentages of labor? Percentage of material? What was your percentage of you know overhead costs? And they can start to really see where they're sitting as a business. And we can use that to then benchmark for next year and say, okay, you were at 500K. You made whatever, let's say a 35% margin on the projects and you made you know, a 15 or 20% net. Um, moving into next year, can we maintain those same margins? Should they go down by 1% or 2% for especially if we're going to add some overhead staff? And we can pre-calculate all the expenses based on what last year was and then adding a few new expenses for the next fiscal year. And when you start to see that for what it is, you're like, okay, well, we have to grow to 800K because if I'm going to add this overhead, like I'm going to zap most of my profit unless we grow to 800K, then it'll all be good. And it starts to really put in perspective how important like having a budget actually is and knowing where to spend money and where not to. And I mean, we're talking about overhead salaries costs right now, but sometimes people will spend all kinds of crazy money on things that they don't even know if they have an ROI. I might have spoken about this last time, but I remember years ago in my painting career, I got contacted by these guys that do Valpac. Um, they basically just do these like 20 ads in one little package. They send to like whatever, 20 or 30,000 people all across the city. And I was like, sure, I'll do that. And I spent like 10 grand on it. Ooh. And I had no idea whether or not it even created an ROI when I said yes to the thing. <laughs> and in the end, it did not. And it was kind of a big waste of money. And it taught me a little bit of a lesson of like, was that in the budget? Was it not? How many leads do I expect to get from this spend expenditure? But without having a benchmark to start from, you, you can't you can't even know like you're just you're lost in an ocean of decision making where you have no no grasp on anything right so i think having a budget for your year that's pre-drawn up and it's based on last year's actuals gives you a lot of power to make very confident decisions in where you're going to go next well and i think that leads into um i think that really leads well into our next question and we went over this a little bit last time i think it's worth revisiting though but the question is what is a good profit margin I think, you know, Danny talked a little bit about profit margins last time, and he talked about uh, some some residential commercial uh, profit margins. And I think uh, he was dead on with some of the numbers that uh, I've been seeing in the businesses and the coaches or the, the guys that I'm coaching, you know, typical profit margins. We talk about gross profit being a very important number. Uh, some numbers like 35 to 50% for your gross profit margin on the residential side is a, is a very healthy number. 
And I see guys pushing the envelope of that. So, um, you know, when you get good at, you know, having the right people in their positions, uh, they're clear in their role, uh, they have budgets for their jobs, there's some accountability and tracking there, guys are pushing the envelope on that 50% mark. Um, I think it also, you need to take into consideration whether you're running an employee model or you're operating on subs. And so typically with subs, that, that gross profit goes down a little bit in the residential side. Um, but there's still, again, I see that high percentages, 45%, uh, high, high 40s on, on the residential side. Commercial, you know, it's kind of all over the map. I think you see anywhere from 30 to 45%. Uh, and that depends on how much uh, overhead you have and how much you have to charge out for that. But some healthy numbers there. Uh, and then you can get into new construction. You know, that's typically a lower lower margin, uh, 30%, uh, you know, and um, just because of quantity over quality most of the time in that regards, unless it's high end. But, yeah, some, some good, you know, uh, profit margins would be around there. Um, yeah, I hope that. Yeah. That answer that, Emma? Yeah. yeah, it definitely does. Yeah. And then um, as a follow-up to that, uh, the question yeah. was, uh, how do you keep your costs down so that you can effectively manage and keep that profit margin? Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if you look at a business, right, the biggest, for, for trades especially, the biggest variable is your labor expense, mm-hmm. um, your, your in-field labor expense. And what people start to realize as they grow a business, like when you're when you're – you and two or three guys or five guys, you know, in a truck every day, you have quite a bit of control over your labor because you're there every day with them. You're helping them speed up on jobs they're, they're having challenges with. You can even go as far as to paint half the project for them and make up for lost time. Like, you have a lot of control. But as you grow the business, you know, your your ability to lead and develop and create focus on certain metrics is going to what's going to create change in people. And I think people really under underestimate, like, what they are as a company. Like, you're not – as a painting business going from a million dollars plus, like you're no longer a painting company, you're a people management business. And the better job you do managing your people, the better job you're going to do with everything. Um, a healthy gross profit margin is basically like the pulse of your entire company. It tells you how the guys are showing up on site, if they're taking extra time to get things done, if the projects are getting you know rained out and projects are you know, causing long, long-term issues. Like everything that happens in operations is systemic from your gross profit margin even sales like if you if you're not good at sales selling and you're selling jobs too low just to get the bid that's mm-hmm. going to give you a low gross profit margin like your entire business the pulse of it kind of comes out of the gross profit margin and the best way to i think to make impact on it the most immediate one anyways is to work on the labor of your team and you know we we back in the day we used to work off of a piece rate system and i, I don't recommend it for everybody but it did really motivate our guys because they were essentially rewarded for the work that they actually put in versus just getting their hourly wage. Um, and it controlled the cost for us as well because essentially we would have a certain percentage we would allocate towards labor and they would kind of work, on, work under that accordingly. Now, that said, I, do, I we don't actually recommend that to a lot of our members. Um, every state's a little different. A lot of rules around peace rate can be, you know, kind of can be confusing and, and convoluted. But the bare minimum to have goals for your employees on site and to say, hey, this is a hundred hour project and let's try and get it done in 90 to hundred hours. And if you get it done in 90 hours, there's a little bonus for you at the end. If you get it done in 110, you know, we obviously not going to make that bonus. And so it's trying to incentivize people to really understand that every project has a budget to it itself. And we want to hit that budget on the labor on the nose and start to hold your people accountable to that budget. Um, it's, it's hard for a painter to know 
hey, I made this you know company <clears throat> make more money or less money this year. They, they can't really understand that. But what they can understand is I did this job in 90 hours when it was budgeted for 100. And as a result, I get an extra little bonus that, you know, I get to go and buy that, you know, whatever thing I wanted you know, for my personal life. So just creating focus on those little minutia goals will help your labor percentage go down and help your productivity go up. And just to add on to that, you know, a lot of guys aren't even, you know, giving their crews budgets for the project. It's here's a here's a scope of work. Go at it. Uh, and so to add on what Danny is saying, you know, just even breaking down the project for your crew or from your estimate, having your crew understand that this is a hundred hour project. Here you go. And here's some breakdown of what that is, like preparation work to finish on this, you know, siding, some trim. Uh, clean up, you know, that alone gives guys and crews an objective, uh, objective to hit. And, and, you know, most business owners aren't, aren't even doing that step. So that could be a starting step for a lot of people is just to give their crews a budget for the job. Yeah. We, we used to do, I don't know, Dan, if you used to do this too, but we used to do like a little, like Monday to Friday, a little like a uh, piece of paper. So it'd be like Monday to Friday and then have before lunch and after lunch. Mm-hmm. And we would write yeah. in, all yep. the things we wanted to do before lunch and all the things we wanted to do after lunch. And we'd write that in for the whole week until we got pretty much all the job done, right? So we'd write in Monday morning, let's be yeah. scraping the house. Monday afternoon, let's be priming the yep. house. Okay, now Tuesday. Yep. Tuesday morning, yep. let's be adding first coat. You know, Tuesday afternoon, yep. let's be adding second coat. And we would work through yep. the whole job. We, you know, And we would just compartmentalize it in their brains so they could really be like, before we get lunch, let's like finish this part of the project. And really yep. keep them on pace and make it very tangible for them. And for us, it would really compartmentalize our, our goals on the project and not say, hey, it's a whole 100 hours. It's, hey, this is 20 hours of the project. Let's do this before this X period of time. It's That's super good simple advice. Just, yeah. The, 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 big, the biggest thing, too, especially when you're working with your crews on site, is like less is more. Like You don't want to make it super complicated and have some crazy weird bonus system that they, they don't even understand, right? It's like, what can they tangibly do and get within like a week? And can they get rewarded within that week as well? Because they're, they're going to be very short term with their reward center when it comes to especially painters. Mm-hmm. Um, what, one thing too is so this, the other you know big expense when it comes to your variables is obviously your your material costs. And I would I would challenge a lot of you guys out there that you know you have you know Benjamin Moore or Sherwin Williams or whoever you're working with. You have this relationship here, and I'm sure they give you every year they give you new pricing on your your, your paint and how much you go out and spend or how much how much you need to spend per per gallon and per per five gallon pail. Take a look at what you spend the most of. Say, hey, you know what? We do a lot mm. of diamond exterior. We do a lot of XYZ stain. And just that's the, the, the nature of the area that we produce a lot of our work in um, or Last America or whatever that be. If I can get them down on like 3 or 4% on that specific product, I can probably make way better margins. And just don't don't attack them being like, I want better rates on everything. But say, hey, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back and work with you guys. But one condition is I want to get $3 off on this one gallon. Um, that we use you know, a lot of, and that'll help you all of a sudden save quite a bit. And for your supplier, they're probably happy to because they sell a lot of that exact product to you. And what most of us realize as painters is the actual product itself doesn't cost very much. It's the store, it's the marketing, it's the science and technology that goes into getting these things you know, ready to be shipped out on, on the customer's wall. But the actual product itself doesn't cost much. I've heard some 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 reps that the actual can itself costs more than the product they put it in. <laughs> so, like, having them just sell more volume is a good thing for them and they can they can take a bit of a hit on their their per can margin so we we have another question uh via email and i think i'm going to add some context because i think i think this person is referring to building a budget but specifically the question was should i set my salary first and how do i decide and i so i i think what he's 
because I've heard this conversation and this topic both in our own magazine um, and attending events is this this idea of building a budget by setting your salary first. How would you guys approach that line of thinking? Do, do you inc- do you encounter that much with painting contractors? Do you advise them not to do that? What, how would you answer that question? Hundred percent. I think whoever emailed you that is on to a great line of thinking. Uh, so often it's the opposite, where they look at last year's numbers or they say, hey, let's just grow by 10% because that's what everybody else is doing. So they just increase and set their budget numbers to 10% bigger than what they did last year. So whoever emailed you, that's a great question. And yes, 100%, that's exactly what we preach. Um, You should be looking at how much you want to make in the year and and set your salary first, whether you're going to do that through uh, you know, salary in the company where you're going to get paid from the company and the net profit, uh, you know, margin that you want to pull at the end of the year. Uh, you know, the, the the balance between those two is, you know, I, you know, recommend talking to your accountant about that. But yeah, for sure, figure out that number uh, of what you'd like to make. And then from there, we always say reverse engineer it, right? And if you know your numbers, that's when you can work backwards and start to plan out and build your business for what you would need to do. So if somebody wants to make, you know, $100,000 in the year and they have a, you know, 15% net profit, you can basically take a look at that and say, you know, if I take $100,000, divide it by 0. 0.15%, 15%, that means I've got to make about $670,000 of revenue to make that net profit. And then you can start to build your budget from there. And that allows you, what that allows you to do is you can play around with the numbers much more easily to get to your net profit versus just saying, hey, let's grow by 10% and I hope I'm going to make my 100K. So that's a great line of thinking. Yeah. And I'm, go ahead. I was, I might add to that too. And so this is, this is for companies that are, you're a little bigger, you're in the couple million dollar range. Be very conscious of how much you can basically store away for your next fiscal year. I mm. think some companies they get very excited and they'll go and do three or four million in a year, and the owner will say, "Great, like I just made three or four hundred, five hundred grand, right?" And they'll be tempted to cash out and be like, "Oh, I'm just going to use that and buy a new truck and get this and get that." And but like really understand, like especially as you get bigger, like just because you made that much money in that fiscal year doesn't mean you should spend it all and blow it all. Like you, you might want to think through what your next fiscal year is going to be looking like and start to allocate cash towards that stuff, um, especially in your off season. A lot of guys don't understand how, how incredible the expensive it is to, to manage your cash flow when you're, when you're producing less and or taking on massive commercial projects to help the company grow. You got to have cash to be able to, to, to float those jobs. And, and so it's like pay yourself first. I think it's huge understand your numbers but don't get too overzealous with it as you grow as a company and just think that all that profit that year is yours like utilize some of that profit to grow in the next fiscal year to take on bigger projects so you can cash flow or to take on some overhead for the for the year for the off seasons so that you can keep good people around or invest in new roles or invest in new technology and and really like understand like the value of your business is just because you bought a new CRM system or built a new you know website or spent a bunch of money training a new member in the in the, in the company doesn't mean that money's like evaporated it's it's actually built value in the company itself like it's actually worth more as a result it's like a house it's like renovating your house same idea well and so in that same vein do you guys have any benchmarks or any thoughts on um how much a company should have in reserves at at the different business sizes i 
I really encourage the guys on average to be, to be maintaining about a 10% net profit in the, in the business year end. Um, so if you're at 500K, that might not be as true. You might be cashing out a little more just to pay your salary. But when you get to a million, two, three, four million dollars a year, like 10 to even 15% net is a really healthy target to move towards. And what you do with that cash can, can change. You know, there'll be years where you're reinvested. There'll be years where you pay it out in dividends and you want it, you want to have it personally. But I really say like a healthy business. And Dan, maybe you'd have a lot more insight on the specific as you coach, but at a 10 to 15% net after all expenses is even after paying yourself personally is a healthy, like sustainable business. Yeah. And I think it also, Emily, to your question, it depends on where the business is in their growth. If you're at, you know, a million dollars and you're growing to the, you know, two million dollar mark, you're you're likely going to need to save more cash in the business to be able to start to put in some overhead positions. And so you're going to want to think through that. That's where planning the long term planning, your five year plan and thinking through, well, you know, in five years, we'd like to be a $10 million business. We're at a million. We're going to two next year. We're going to go to four the next year. If, if you've got a hyper-aggressive growth plan, um, you know, the, the more you grow and the more you see yourself uh, expanding is meaning your uh, previous years, you're going to need to save that cash to put in, put in new positions. So if you're, if you're happy with where you're at, I've got a couple guys I coach who are really happy with the numbers. They don't necessarily want to grow um, revenue by leaps and bounds and so they're happy with that and so they don't need to to save as much cash for the business the next year because they can pull it out because they're they're okay with those numbers so it does depend on your growth as well but. and we've got we've got one more question that we've got time for here and this is um i'm i'm blindsiding you guys with this one a little bit so um i, I the the question here is you know we we're, we've talked a lot about growth um about going from you know working in the field to becoming a, a people management company um the question here is if, if you're building a company and, and you want to grow but as an owner you're where you want to be, where you want to spend your days is in the field. So you like the work, you you like what you're doing out there in the field and you want to stay there. What are your options there? Hmm. Mm. So this person is saying, yeah, hmm. <laughs> interesting. <laughs> I definitely got some thoughts on this. Sure. Be careful not to let your ego get in the way when you're growing a business. And oh. if, you're, if you're truly passionate about the craft and what you're doing, that's totally cool. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, this is just a game. Business is literally a game. If you love the craft of painting and you want to get better at it and you want to become a professional in that area, go for it. Do higher end work. Take on more complex projects. Take pride in what you do every day and get paid more per hour that you, you're out there with your crews, you know, delivering a product and service that's leaps and bounds above anybody else in your area. And you can make more money by just being better at what you do and being world renowned for it, right? And be the guy on the tools with that. One of the biggest things I would recommend for that type of person is to probably get some level of administrative support. Um, it can be very tough to manage the back end, of, and it's probably not naturally their, their 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 brain type anyways. A lot of them are more artistic, and ultimately that would make them a lot more right-brained and just not as analytical. They just don't want to deal with the numbers. So take the time to grow your business to a level where you can charge a lot per hour or per, per, per project that you take on because you've built a brand that allows you to do that and use some of that money to help build some back-end administrative support. And yeah, stay in the field. Do what you love. Like, don't try and grow this business just because everyone tells you you need to. Like, you've got one life to live. Like, are you going to spend those daily hours, right? Spend them doing things you want to do. Yep. Dan, I couldn't agree with you more, I I think. And I was going to jump in, but you you said, took the words out of my my mouth. Like, hire somebody so that you can just stay in the field, hire somebody on the admin side. And I would say 
specifically to the financials like you pointed out. You still need to make money and so if you're not good at that and you want to stay in the field, great, do it um, and, and do become the best at it. Um, but if you can, hire somebody in there to help you just understand the numbers so that you what you are doing is making you money and that you can continue to stay in the field uh, for as long as you as you want. So good advice. This is why they're known as coaches. They coach <laughs> you up, man. Nice work, Dan and Danny. This is uh, this is great information. Very, uh, very practical, very quantitative. Talking about net profit percentages, gross profit percentages, percentage of labor. This is all uh, great stuff. So uh, and then at the very beginning, talking about suggestions on on books that uh, people could read in lieu of a uh, finance degree. And of course, you can also learn a lot more simply by going to their website, Breakthrough Academy's website, which is btacademy.com. Uh, you can see some crazy photos of Dan and Danny having a ton of fun because that's what it's all about. Run a better business, lead a happier life, have more fun. Um, and that's really why we do this at Paint Radio. So Dan and Danny, thank you so much. We love our relationship with Breakthrough Academy. You guys really are uh, educating and inspiring and, and we love it. So thank you so much. Yeah. Thanks guys. Thanks for having us. It's good. Yeah. Thank you very much. If you want, if you're looking for more inspiration, go to paintmag.com slash paint radio. Emily has a uh, new podcast where she sings inspirational songs. And let me tell you that really gets you there <laughs> much like malt liquor. <laughs> But if you are looking for true inspiration, go to paint, paintmag.com slash paintradio. Good podcasts, including the previous one with Danny Kerr of Breakthrough Academy, uh, as well as the one I mentioned with Aaron Moore, who has the finance degree. You'll learn something from Aaron as well. So good luck. Have a great day. We're with you. We're kindred spirits here at APC. Thanks for listening to Paint Radio. Paint Radio.